Hey guys, greetings to you guys back at Grace Point Church. Um, Mike, you asked three different questions as far as how we're doing. And the team's doing great. We got an awesome team and we can feel your guys' prayers. And so for those of you that have committed to pray for us, please keep praying. We could use those um, over the next few days for sure. Um, also, where are we seeing God at work? I would say among men and women who really represent the way that we define disciple, uh, becoming a fully obedient multiplier following Christ. Man, we have met some incredible nationals here um, that are that are from this area that are passionately and urgently um, sharing, sharing their faith, making disciples. And then the most incredible thing is that they're going and following up after people accept salvation through Jesus. They go back and then they teach them what it means to follow Jesus. And then those individuals, what it means to become a fully obedient multiplier following Christ. It's awesome. God's doing some good stuff here. Last question you said, what do we hope to accomplish? Um, man, we, we want to see where God is at work and then we want to evaluate Hey, is there, a, is there an opportunity here for Grace Point to send teams over the next couple of years? So we've got filters and structure in place to identify healthy partnership. Um, but really the ultimate question comes down to, is our help needed here? And we ask that to some of the local believers who are making disciples. And man, their response really blew me away. They said, yeah, absolutely. It is an encouragement to us and it's an encouragement to those who are facing persecution. Um, not only that, but they said, um, opportunities open up when you send teams. People that we see every week um, maybe don't ask the same questions, but when you come, their interest is piqued, and they want to know more about this Jesus and why people are becoming followers. Um, and then also, um, they said at logistical support, you know, they're walking hours to get to places where with the resources we have, we can get to in 20 minutes. And so that's a big help. The last question would be, um, is Grace Point willing to pray I would say prayerfully consider coming here. And so when I say Grace Point, I mean, those of you that are that are watching this and seeing us on the big screen right now, we can see you guys. Um, will you guys prayerfully consider coming here to South Asia and working alongside nationals who are making disciples? Because really that's that's on us to decide. So it really comes down to healthy partnerships. Um, are, is our help needed here? Absolutely. Will you guys commit to coming over the next couple of years? Start praying about it, and I'll, I'll tell you more at the Global Venture 360 on May 15th, Tuesday night. See you guys. All right, so Caleb gave us a little uh, little teaser. Yeah, give him a hand. Uh, I don't think he can hear it, but hey, we're giving the God a hand. Uh, the, uh, the beauty of it is on, on the 15th, they will be back safe and sound right here, and we're going to get to hear from them directly. On That's a Tuesday night, and dinner, and all that kind of stuff. You can sign up for all that uh, events uh, section on our website. Uh, but there's not only uh, what, what they're doing, where they're doing it, and what they're about, but it's also being able to hear about how you can be a part of it in, in the fall, in the spring coming up. So there's, there's trips that are forming right now, uh, coming together, and we're going to get to hear about their trip and what they've seen God at work and where you could be a part of work in the future. Plus, we've had a partnership for years in Zambia, and we're going to have the directors of New Day Orphanage right here with us, and they're going to be able to share the latest and greatest developments uh, among the orphanage that we have poured time and resources and love into in, in a lot of great ways and how we can be a part of that. And they're going to be here. So there's a lot going to happen on that Tuesday night. So make it a dinner night. Make Bring the family up. Register online. Got to do that in advance. But then 
that, that will be happening. And um, again, just a part of what we uh, have been a part about. It's a passion of ours, the nations. And I know that probably some come here and they go, oh my gosh, you know, they talk so much about over there and going over there. And, and these people I don't even know. I think they, you know, they're, they're different people. They speak different languages. They dress differently. They eat differently. And, you know, what about, what about right here? And I get it. It all fits together. It's not one against the other. They all tie together. But this has been a passion of mine. And it's not always been a passion of mine. In fact, if I had one message to share with any one church anywhere in the world, one church with believers, it would be from Romans chapter 10. So be finding Romans 10. We'll be there in a moment. But this is absolutely my mantra. This is my Jerry Maguire message, if you will, to the church to get it out there to say, hey, listen, you have got to hear this because this is incredibly important. It wasn't always that way. My thought, my idea of what it meant to be a follower of Christ and to pastor a church till I went on this incredible global adventure that rocked my world forever, changed our family dynamics forever. And it was whenever I used to think that the job of the pastor is to keep everybody warm, happy, and fed. If I keep everybody warm, happy, and fed, then we'll all just be really a cool family and we'll all love each other and everyone will be happy and fed, right? That's what we want. We just want to be safe and secure in the comforts of our church because the bad, evil world is out there to get us. And I thought, okay, this needs to be the safe place. And it does need to be a safe place. But at the same time, is that the aim goal? Is that the end vision that we're going to just all be warm, happy, and fed? And it was when God rocked my world, when I went to a communist, former communist country that the wall had just come down, I saw the opportunity there. I said, no, it's not warm, happy, and fed. It's challenged, grown, and stretched. That's what God wants His church. He is challenging us. He's growing us. He's stretching us. He is making a difference in our life. We're not just in this placid state uh, of being. And when you look at Paul and you study the life of Paul, it's very clear what his purpose, what his passion was about, was about the gospel. And we've talked about the gospel and we've defined the gospel. That gospel is the full impact. I mean, complete saturation impact of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, we, that's why we Easter is such a pivotal centerpiece of our, of our faith. And without Christ's death, burial, and resurrection of the cross, we have nothing. We're men to be pitied. Our faith is empty and futile. There's so much the scripture says about that. But it's the full impact. It's not just a historical event. It's the full impact on my past, how God redeems my brokenness, on my present, how he gives me direction today, and on my future, how he gives me hope and a future, a pathway to hope in the future. That's what the resurrection does. Now, I promise you there's nothing else out there that will do that. Nothing else that will offer that to you. In Romans chapter 1, verse 7, 17 is what when Paul's talking about the gospel and the power of the gospel. And he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Now, he was not saying, hey, I'm, not, I'm a little bit timid about the gospel. And, you know, I don't really talk about it because I'm ashamed. I don't want to be laughed at by my friends or mocked or anything like that. No, no, no. He's saying, listen, this is my life. I'm not, not, not ashamed. I am just absolutely, it is my life. It's everything about me. It's the power of God to salvation to anybody who believes. Everyone who believes. I love the word everyone because that's pretty inclusive, right? That includes you, me, the broken, the, the fixed, the, the put together, the pimps, prostitutes, and perverts. That includes everyone. 
that the gospel can impact and change their past, their present, and their future. And that's the power of the gospel. Listen, philanthropy is a great thing. Philanthropy, and I can't say that word very many times, so don't ask me to say it again. So, you know, that word is a, is a great concept in whenever we help our society that's sick and we help it get better. But here's the problem with just being philanthropic is that we help the society get better, but we never address the soul of society. The gospel addresses the soul, so then it impacts our society. Without the gospel, we just make this world a better place to go to hell from. Think about it. But what we need to do is we need to impact the soul. And when we impact the soul, we impact society in a way that changes our past, our present, and our future in this beautiful, powerful kind of way. That's what the power of the gospel is, the passion of the gospel. That's what drove Paul to the gospel. Now, that's what it was about. But let's talk about the scope. How far was it out there? How far did it reach? It had no boundaries. It, it went to those who hadn't believed. It went to those who were yet to be believers. It went to those who had never heard. When you look at Peter, he had the same kind of thing. He had the same kind of life change. I mean, you got to look at Peter over here. He's this blue-collar family, fisherman, northern Galilee area, inherited fisher, commercial fisherman. That's all he did was just grind it out day after day, catching fish, filleting fish, catching fish, filleting fish. You know, so that's, that's the life that he lived, just grinding it out day after day. But then he has this incredible impact with the gospel, and it changes his life, and God redeems in this beautiful way. And then he stands up and he preaches, and the power of the gospel is shared in 3,000 people in one day in his very first sermon. I hadn't had 3,000 people in 27 years come to Christ in one of any of my sermons Con- c- combined. In one sermon, this uneducated blue collar, you know, came out of the backwoods of Galilee. It stands up and the gospel has that level of power. Now you go on and you talk, and he had a very clear understanding of what God was calling him to do in Matthew in Acts 15, verse 7. It says, Peter stood up and he said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Peter knew what he was called to. He was a Jew, but he was called to the Gentiles. Now, I love this, that Jesus breaks down all racial, gender, socioeconomic walls. All right? We can no longer just tribe ourselves into our little tribes. He breaks them down. He says there's not a difference between a Jew and a Greek. He says that in Romans 10. There's not a difference. He's breaking them down. But Peter had a very clear calling. Though he was a Jew, he was called to the Gentiles. So his scope was very broad. It wasn't just local to himself. But the same with Paul. When you look at Paul and you understand Paul's life, he had the same kind of passion and calling. Now, Paul, he was from Troas. Troas, got to understand Troas. Troas was a very highly educated city. He was probably from a white-collar family. He was very educated. He was, a, he, was, he was a Pharisee. He was a Benjamin. He knew exactly where he was. He knew exactly who he was from. He was a Roman citizen. He had clout. He had status. But being from Troas meant that he was from a very educated Harvard Ivy League kind of community. Even first century Stroba was a, a historian and he declared that Alexandria, Athens, and Tarsus were the most educated communities 
in the land. So you're talking about an Ivy League education. So you got white, blue collar over here, Peter, preaching and 3,000 being transformed by the gospel. To, and he's also to the Gentiles. And you got Paul over here and he's this white collar, very educated, but he has this incredible experience and he has this life change. But where is he supposed to go? Notice what it says in Romans 15, 16. To be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. So Paul too also realized that he had a calling to the Gentiles. This is an incredible thing here. Cross-gender, cross-boundaries, cross borderless kind of living, that's the kind of life of a follower of Christ. There are no boundaries. There are no limits. We are all to go to the nations. Yes, at the same time, we're to love our community well. Here's a life principle for you. The light that shines the furthest shines the brightest at home. We want to reach those far-reached places. We want to reach, as Peter and Paul said, we want to reach the Gentiles. We want to go to those places where Paul talked about, I want to build on a place where no, I want to build where nobody has gone before. I want to go to Spain. I want to go to here. And he had this great vision. But the light that shines the furthest shines the brightest at home. We got to realize we have a calling here and we have a calling there. It's not a calling either or. It's a calling both and. They are not opposed to one another. But we must awaken. We must be awakened. We must allow the voice of Romans 10 to speak to us today and hear that, hey, we are called to where we live to shine a light and to the ends of the earth. My question to you, if God were to awaken you today, Who is he awakening you to, to help awaken their faith? Who do you know that the light's turned off, there's nobody home in the faith, there's nobody, the soul is empty, they're far from God. Who do you know that God might be calling you, 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 and me to help awaken their soul, awaken their spirit? I want us to do this. I want you to take out your phone. We do this on a quite regular basis. I want us to take a survey. I don't care if you're a guest or a member or whatever. We're going to take a survey. This is the question that we're going to answer. How many people? Numbers. Numbers. You don't have to give names. Numbers. How many people do I interact with? That doesn't mean they're an acquaintance. That doesn't, it could be your barista at Starbucks. It could be, it could be the person who, who, who helps out, uh, 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 does your lawn care. It could be, it could be the person that you shop at the store and you see them on and on, but you know their name. You interact with them. It could be somebody you work with. It could be somebody on a team, go to school with. On a continual basis. It's not one of those things you want to off. Okay, you see them and you've never seen them before. You don't see them again. Who are far from God? That means you have to be close enough to know whether or not they're far from God. All right, think about that. Now what you're going to do on your little text thing, you're going to text in. Into the message column, you're going to put GPC NWA, but you're going to text to the number 22333. This is going to immediately enroll you. You'll immediately get a text back, okay? When you get that text back, you're going to give an answer. Do I have zero? I had no nobody. I don't have any relationships with anybody on a continual basis out there. Think about it. All the way to I have more than 10. I got, I got more, but you got them by name, okay? You're thinking about them right now. I have not answered my own survey, so I'm going to do it right now myself. So get your phones out. Hopefully you're doing it. Here we go. Send in your numbers as you have them in your mind, all right? We're going to have this. We'll talk more about this in the future, but I want us to look at Romans chapter 9. We've been in Romans for a while. You know that. Romans chapter 9 is where we were last week, but I skipped over some verses. Nobody called me out on it. 
So I want to come back to it because they're very critical verses. If you remember, Romans 8 is this high-flying, beautiful, I'm encouraged, you're encouraged, kumbaya kind of chapter. It's this, uh, it's this uh, hey, we're more than conquerors for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hey, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, it's just on and on. Encouragement just flows. All things are going to work together for good to them who love God and call conquerors' purposes. It's just so much encouragement. He could have ended Romans 8. Sealed the book up, sent it over to Rome from Corinth, and we would have been warm, happy, and fed. That's all we needed was through Romans 8. But he keeps going. He's going to stretch us. He's going to pull us. He's going to push us. He's going to challenge us. He's going to lead us to Romans chapter 10. But with Romans chapter 9, he almost, and please understand, I understand that this is a a sickness that people struggle with, so I don't want to make light of that. But he's almost manic. When you go from chapter 8... Chapter 9, he goes from, hey, everything's awesome and great. We're more than conquerors. To the next chapter, he literally says this, I'm in anguish continually. Let's read it. Romans chapter 9, verse 1. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. I mean, He's like, I swear on the Bible, I cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. I'm telling you the truth here. That I have a great sorrow. I mean, this is something that disturbs me. I can't eat, I can't sleep, I can't, I can't function in a normal way. And unceasing anguish. This was an all-consuming thing that he's going through. That he's feeling in my heart. What was he feeling? What was, he, what was the anguish? What was the sorrow? For I could wish that I myself were accursed. Listen to this next statement. And cut off from Christ. Paul literally says, I would send myself to hell if I could. That's how intense it is. That's how deep the anguish is. Why? Why, 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 why all this? That I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. I believe when Paul was writing Romans 9 that he had his mother and his father and his brother and his sister and his aunts and his uncles. He was thinking back to Tarsus. He was thinking back to the believer and back to his unbelieving family. He was thinking back to his kinsmen. He was thinking back to his brothers who were not followers of Christ and it was eating him alive. It was consuming him. He could not do business as usual because business as usual was out the door. He had been changed and that change was so great and so impactful that he was now hurting because he had brothers and families and sisters and and cousins and nieces and nephews that were not yet followers of Christ. And as I said, the light that shines the furthest shines the brightest at home. And he's thinking about his own family far from Christ, his own friends, his own schoolmates. He's disturbed now. It's Romans 9. Let's go over to chapter 11, skipping over chapter 10. Just to show you, on all three of these parenthetical chapters that we talked about them last week, he is emphasizing Israel and his nation, his tribe, his people, his bros. Okay? I ask then, as God, has God rejected the people? His people? Huh? No way. I mean, that's the same emphatic way he says it in Romans chapter Nine, Romans chapter 6, when he talks about, can we continue? He said, absolutely, by no means. 
For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Again, he's just giving his, his, uh, his ancestry.com uh, breakdown. God has not rejected his people. God has a great plan for his people. He knows them. He, he, he longs for them. I long for them. I'm in anguish and sorrow over them. On and on. Now go back to Romans chapter 10. And just to bring all three of these chapters together, you, 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 now we get introduced even to a deeper level of Paul. And he says, brothers, my heart's desire, my prayer to God. And I'll stop right there. When was the last time you couldn't sleep? You had unceasing anguish. You couldn't go on with life and you absolutely, your prayer life was consumed by a brother or a sister, an aunt or an uncle, a friend or a foe, a neighbor or a colleague who was far from God. Somebody in your circle, not far off, because the light that shines the furthest shines the brightest at home. And he can't go to Spain and he can't go to where other places until he first of all deals with his own family members and try. And he's going to do them both and he's going to work at it both. And But there's a tremendous burden on him. My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. He is all struck with them. And we talk about in Romans chapter 9, the sovereignty of God. And God is in control and aware of everything else. We're going to see in Romans chapter 10, there's this huge responsibility placed on man. And I can't even begin to reconcile them. I just have to live with them, okay? I can't begin to answer all the questions. I just have to live with them. There's this huge responsibility upon mankind. And the responsibility must be fulfilled. And we must own it. We must own our place in it to the point that we might even lose sleep and not be able to hold down food because we are so distraught over our friends and our families far from God. Why the passion for our mission? And again, our mission is here, but his mission is there. Why the passion? Because of three things, three reasons. Number one, there's the reliability of our message. And we listen, I know, I know, I know, we live in a day of ambiguity. We live in a day of fake news. We don't know whether to trust CNN or Fox. That's fair and balanced. We don't, we don't know who to trust. We don't know what politician to believe. We don't know if the council's good or the council's bad. We, 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 we can't find objective, uh, uh, absolute truth anymore in our day and age. Listen, let's back out of this. If I can't find the truth, it doesn't mean there isn't truth. There is still truth. And so resting on something solid, we're going to have to land somewhere. And what I want to say, despite all the fake news and all the other different views and opinions and, and, and ideas out there, there is something I believe that is solid. Religion is about man finding God. And we're not about that. We're about a relationship with the Savior, about God finding man and coming to us and being with us and inviting us into his family. In verse 3, it talks about that they did not submit to God's righteousness. They had their own Jenna. They had their own plan. They had their own theology. They figured out their own way to God. No, no, no. It's not about them figuring out their own way to God. It's about resting on verse 13. And even the verses prior to that. But let me just go to, to the Crypt Notes verse, verse 13. 
Lots to say in the verses immediately prior to this, but this is what he says. For everyone, I love everyone. That includes what? Everyone. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. Say it again. It, it might be saved, could be saved. You might make the lottery. You might not make the lottery. If you hang in there long enough, maybe you'll pull it out in the end. If you do enough good deeds, if you, if you, if you, no, 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 no. There's no if in there. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Now, I love that he didn't say Savior there. There's a lot of people who get some bad theology going in their head when they start talking about, well, Jesus is my Savior, but he's not my Lord. No, the invitation was not to make him your Savior and not your Lord. The invitation was to make him your Lord, let him be your Lord. And when, hey, by the way, when he becomes your Lord, he also saves you. He becomes your Savior. If you're not ready for him to be your boss, you're not ready for him to be your Savior. If you're not ready to fall in line with him and be obedient to him and make him your Lord of your life and make the boss to call the shots in your life, then I don't know that you're quite ready to walk in a relationship with him. And the beauty of this, this is something that we can sink our teeth in. And listen, let's look at this. You may not sink your teeth in there, but I'm sinking my faith there for all eternity. Every one of us in this room is rolling the dice on something. All right? You're either rolling it on atheism. Hey, I don't believe there's a God, so therefore you're rolling it on the faith of your atheism. You're rolling it on Islam. You're rolling it on Hinduism. You're rolling it out on Buddhism. You're rolling it out on something. I'm rolling my out, out on a man named Jesus who came, bled, and died and rose from the dead, of which nobody else has been able to do that one. Pull that one out of the hat. Who's able to reconcile me to God and able to take care of my past brokenness, live in my present with the Holy Spirit, chapter 8, uh, Romans, and guide me into a hope-filled future for all eternity. I'm going with that guy. Choose your path, go with it, because you're going to live there for eternity. So think about it. I've chosen the way of Jesus. So as you choose, if you choose the way of Jesus with me, and you go with Jesus, and you call on him, and he is your Lord, then guess what? The beauty is that you will be saved. That's a great message. That's the message. We've got to get out there. That's the reliable message that he talks about. Verse. Let's keep reading. Verse 13. Now let's read to verse 14. Now then... Uh, then will they call, how then will they call on him? And now, a beautiful question series here, but we'll come back to that in a moment. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how will they believe in him in whom they've not heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching? This is not job security verse for me, okay? I'll break that down in a moment. Because he goes on to say, and how will they preach unless they are sent? In the next verse, he talks about those who preach the good news. The word preach, 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 or preaching, preach, preach, is, is really a, a Greek word that means to herald a message. It, is, it was far a secular word before it ever became a religious word, okay? It was, it was back in, before Twitter, before media, social media, before, uh, before we could Google the news and the news got sent to us by paper. Remember that old form of thing where the paper boy would throw it out there? You know, when, before we got that day old history thing in the, in the, in, in the driveway and picked it up uh, and read from yesterday's news, there was nothing but a trusted herald who would stand in the market street and would declare a message. Now, here's the thing. You've got to have a trusted messenger delivering a valid message, a validated message. So let me, let me play it out a scenario. War happens in a foreign land. You send your troops to the foreign land. 
your, your troops beat the other side. What do they do? They send a message back to the king. The king hears the message from a reliable source. The reliable source then takes that message to the king. He then either himself or sends the messenger back out into the market. In the market, he would gather the people together. Hey, hear ye, hear ye. Here's a message from the king. Here's a message from the front. We have won. There's great news for all. Our family's coming home. We're going to have a better life, blah, 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 blah. So you you get the message by the herald. Any of us are heralders of the message of Christ. It's not the vocational pastor standing on the stage with a big mouth. It is every single one of us declaring a message. I love the story of Dawson Trotman, whose friends, colleagues, if you will, worked alongside Billy Graham in his time. Dawson Trotman is mainly known for starting a, a group movement called the Navigators, a great discipleship movement where you learn Scripture and you grow in the Scriptures and you learn and you pray. It's just great discipleship. Our son went to West Point Military Academy and Navigators was his sustaining uh, Bible study uh, while he was there. It is a great... that. But before it was about being a sanitized Christian believer, it was more than that. See, discipleship doesn't happen among Christians. It is evangelism that leads to discipleship. And when you dive behind the story of Dawson Trotman, he wrote a little bitty book a number of years ago called Born to Reproduce. You can't even find it unless you get an out-of-print copy. It's a little booklet. It's worth finding if you can find it. Born to Reproduce. He tells the story of he and his marriage and how when they got married, they had a motto. The motto was Isaiah 60, verse 11. Thy gates shall be open continually. They shall not be shut day or night. Thy gates shall be open continually. They will not be shut day or night. Basically what he and his wife did, they got married on a Sunday and by Wednesday, talk about a short honeymoon, they were home and they had their first Bible study in their home as a married couple. And every week thereafter, they had their home open and their table was open and the mealtime was open. And this is what he said. He said, we were married on Sunday. We, we were home by Wednesday. And the first sailor sat down in their home and accepted the Lord that very next week. Men from every 40 states, continuous states, came through their home because they lived near a military base. And they would have soldiers come in, sailors come in and out of their home. And for a period of six months, we went seldom ate at breakfast nor ate evening meal together, that there was not a sailor sitting at the table and that they would follow it up with a Bible study and a time together. I want you to listen to what Trotman said about his home. I believe with all my heart that one of the greatest soul-saving stations in the world is the home. Is the home. Now, just line that up with this families that were standing up here a few moments ago. What if every family saw their family as a place to invite people far from God in? to sit at their table at breakfast, to sit at their table at dinner, to have conversations, spiritual conversations. Why? Why would I do that? Because we have a reliable message. Because we have a message that will change your past and your present and your future. It will reconcile your past. It will give you direction in the, in the present and it will give you hope in the future. Why should we do this? Because the light that shines the furthest shines the brightest at home. We can't talk about the nations if we're not willing to shine the light right here.
But as we shine the light here, we can shine further there. Who? Here's a question for you. Of those eight, nine, six, six, seven, eight names that came across your mind when we were taking that survey a few moments ago, who needs to be awakened in your world? Just write down one name. Of those eight, nine, six, seven, whatever it was, just one name. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's somebody you work with. Maybe it's somebody you're on a team with. I don't know. One name. What if you spent the next six months that every day in anguish that was unceasing, in prayers and heart's desire for them, you couldn't stop praying because you were consumed. I'm telling you, you're going to get tired of me hearing it. The light that shines the furthest shines the brightest at home. There's a, there is a reliable message. You will be saved, but you've got to hear the message, which leads me to the next reason we need to be about what we're about is the responsibility to share the message, okay? This is put on us. Yes, the sovereignty of God's there. Yes, God knows the end before He knows even the beginning. He knows it all, how it's going to flesh out. But He gave us this tremendous responsibility in what Paul does in a very logical, linear kind of way, just like he writes Romans. I told you, I talked about it last week. A lot of it is A equals B equals C equals D. Well, he does the same thing here. He asks in a series of syllogism of questions, One question leading to another answer, leading to another, and it will make completely sense. But he's leading us, he's driving us to something. And it's all about what Jesus was about at the end, all all the way through his life. But when he told us in Matthew, and when he told us in Mark, go to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. When he told us in Matthew to go and make disciples of all nations. This was him calling us out. This was him calling us to. And whenever you look at this, I want us to just begin to see this. And and when you see this, you'll see it. Three contingencies for us reaching the nations, for us reaching the world, for us changing the world, instead of just making it a better place, making it thoroughly right with God. We need to look at the world. When we look at the world, we're going to see a mankind that's waiting for a message. There's a mankind, there's humankind out there, and they are waiting for the message. This was best illustrated whenever I I had a great, dear, respected missionary for about 30 years, lived in Southern Africa, named Jimmy Hooten. He's gone to be with the Lord now, but he told a story to me one time, and it absolutely broke my heart. Talked about being a missionary among the the Maasai before many of the Maasai became believers, but he was talking about a missionary going through the bush and he comes to this village and he leads this person to Christ, these, these, these villagers to Christ, a couple of men there, and he leads them to Christ and he gives them a Swahili Bible. And as most missionaries do, they got to keep going because there's unreached places. They got to keep pushing back the darkness. And so he leaves them with the Bible. He says, I'll come back. And we're going to share some stories from this book, which you start reading the book. And he goes on his way and he comes back sometime later. And he finds these guys on the side of the road again. And they just have this old tattered Bible. Pages are missing out of it. And he said, why? Why? So we need another Bible. So why, why? Why? You didn't take care of the first Bible I gave you. He said, no, 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 we did, we did. We went to that village and when we told them about the story of Jesus, then then they wanted to hear more and we tore out some pages and we gave them those pages and and then we went to the next village and they wanted to follow Jesus and so we gave them a few pages and now all we have is this, two blank covers of a Bible. I wonder who got the book of Habakkuk. But even if they read the book of Habakkuk, 
They had read in chapter 1, verse 5, when it says, Look among the nations, watch, and be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do a work in your day that you would not believe, even if I told you. I'm telling you, mankind is waiting for a message. They're waiting among the Fulani. They're waiting among the Arabs. They're waiting among the Yao people. They're waiting among the Bomber people. They're waiting. And he said there, and he said, verse 14, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him in whom they've never heard? How will they ever believe in Him? There's 3.94 billion people on the planet that never heard of Christ. I, I, I'm sorry, I get sick at my stomach. I throw up in my mouth when I hear people say, Hey, Mike, why do we go to the nation so much? I mean, we we got to worry about America. we got America we got to worry about. And I go, yeah, we do. All 5% of the world population. Look at this map. You take all the people and put them into bubbles, and you say, where's the biggest population out there? You'd find 5% of the world there. Now, where do you find the largest population in the world? You find it in China, in India, Indonesia, Pakistan, Iran, Bangladesh, and so forth. You, you put them, oh, that's all the green. That's all Asia. And how ironic it is that the largest concentration of people who have never heard the name of Christ live in the green and live in the northern part of the orange. Turkey up there. Just got back from there. The largest cap per capita number of people who do not know Christ. I wonder, oh, how I wonder, if there has not been a saturation of the gospel in our own neighborhood that we have forgotten the nations. Hey, listen, I'm not saying we don't go to the nations. Remember, the light that shines the furthest shines the brightest at home. We start here, we go there. Number two, look in the mirror. We've got to look at the nations. We've got to look in the mirror. The message is waiting for a messenger. The message is waiting for a messenger. How can they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how can they believe in him in whom they've not heard? And how will they hear without somebody preaching, somebody telling them? How? How will they ever, how do we expect, see, we have to realize this word, this word good news, this word uh, evangel or evangelist that we don't like to use because of the Christianese. We've got to realize evangel means good news. The evangel is silent until the evangelist gets there. Okay? Just taking the Bible alone is not an, handing out, try, not, no, the evangel is silent until the evangelist gets there. You see this in the scriptures whenever, whenever, uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 16, he says, He who hears you hears me. Jesus said this, listen, when you get out there and you start talking about my death, burial, and resurrection, he who hears you hears me. I'm going to be speaking through you. I'm going to give you words. I'm going to anoint your words. There's going to be spiritual things happen. John the Baptist said, I am the voice in John 1, 23. Paul said, so we preached. I love this. Very clear connection. So we preached. So you believed. They don't believe until they hear. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Skip down a few verses. So faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the Word of God, Word of Christ. We have a task to get the message out. Mankind's waiting for a message. 
The messenger's waiting. Uh, the uh, messenger, uh, excuse me, the message is waiting for a messenger. But number three, we need to look at our churches. We need to look at our churches. The messenger is waiting for a means. When I say this, I, I, I'm calling our church out and I'm saying, listen, we're going to have to do some gut checking and ask ourselves continually, am I a part of the means of getting the gospel to the ends of the earth or am I a part of the excuse of it not getting to the ends of the earth? Can you ask yourself that question? I have to ask myself that question. Am I a part of the means of getting the gospel to the ends of the earth or am I a part of the excuse of not getting the gospel to the ends of the earth? They've got to answer that question. We gotta answer that question as a church. Are we given all the spiritual resources that we need? Are we, are we giving all the financial resources? Are we giving all the human resources that we need? Think about it spiritually. What are you doing spiritually? Paul prayed with a heart, earnest heart, with the anguishing of his spirit for the people of Israel. Who are you praying for? Have you ever heard of the Yao people? What about the Makua people? I get an email every day and every day at 1040 because of the 1040 window. I pray for a people group. This week alone, I pray for the Sakari of Nepal. Pray for the Tibetans of China. I pray for the Gujarari of Pakistan. Yesterday, the Arabs of Saudi Arabia. I pray for 21 million people. I'm not blowing my horn. I'm just saying this. There's 21 million people that don't know Jesus. And I was just one voice. I need, we need more voices lifting up the peoples of the world. Spiritual resources, financial resources. Think about it like this. $88.02 a day to keep a missionary on the field. $88 a day to keep a missionary on the field. Do the math on that. That's $617 a year and 83 cents. That's $32,127, excuse me, a week. Versus 32127 a year. Um, how does my giving of my financial resources help the mission of God and the gospel of God get to the ends of the earth? Am I giving the spiritual resources? Am I giving my financial resources? Are we giving the human resources? And by the way, I'm going to show you this map. I'll throw that map back up there just a few months ago. These are the, these are the countries and the places that we haven't been investing in for a number of years that we still have either people on the ground right this minute as we talk. We have, we are, we, we have partnerships with, we have works going on. And notice this, it's in this, what's this 1040, 1040 and 10 degrees. This is the most concentration area of lostness in the world. We are focusing our resources there. And as you give, as we go, we're focusing on there. Our team that we just met on the field is not on one of those yellow dots. They're in the area of that 1040 window. Are we doing all we can possibly do for the nations? Is this church a landing zone or a launching pad? Are we a landing zone where you come warm, happy, and fed, and you leave fat and sassy? Are we a launching pad that's challenging and changing and stretching and pushing and pulling back the darkness of our world with the gospel of Christ? Number three, there's the reward. That's why I like Romans 10. It challenges us, but it gives us this beautiful, beautiful picture at the end. 
when we understand our role, that our message is a triumphal message. Our message is a timely message. It's triumphant and it gives us hope and life and from past, present, and future. It's also timely. It has a time stamp on it. And that's basically someone's life. We've got to get the message to the ends of the earth. And guess what? When we bring that message, I've never had anybody receive the message and spit in my face. I've never had anybody, and I've been in the countries where they pull out a knife and want to cut my head off because I gave them a message that they received. No, no, no. They embrace me like a family member. We become family. It is incredibly beautiful. And that's exactly what he says there. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, the gospel. Only 3% of churches reproduce themselves. And the number of believers is equal. Many people... Never share their faith. Disciples make disciples. But it's not just merely us getting better with us. It's evangelism that leads to disciples who make disciples. Becoming a fully obedient multiplier following Christ means I'm going to have to sometimes sit in the smoking section, have a few dams and hells in my life, have some brokenness that I'm willing to rub up next to, because I have a message that's worth sharing that will change their life forever, that will forever, ever impact them. How's God awakening you today? That you could be a part of awakening someone else's soul. I want to close with a true story. You can look it up for yourself. It's reported in the Chicago Tribune in February 9th, 1979 of a John Courier. Listen to this story as I close. He was guilty, found guilty, and sentenced to life in prison in 1949. Something happened whenever he was on good behavior. They began to adjust his sentencing. And in 1968, he was sentenced to at home, if you will call it at home, imprisonment on a wealthy farmer's farm outside of Nashville, Tennessee, where he was told to work. For the rest of his life, he was outside of prison, but he was still a prisoner, if you will. He was sentenced to spend out the rest of his life there. After some time there, 11 years or so, he was actually sent a letter from the Department of Corrections. Now, the problem is John Courier couldn't read. He couldn't read or write. But he was sent a letter by the Department of uh, of Corrections that said he was free. He was sent a letter, and the farmer was sent the letter, the saying that John is now a free man. Let him let him go. The problem is, is that John never could read the letter, and the farmer refused to give him the good news, and so therefore, John never got free. He never heard the gospel of his freedom. And you would not believe it, but it is true. Again, you read it for yourself. One year went by, then two years went by, then five years went by, then finally ten years go by. The farmer dies while John is still a slave. Still a prisoner, if you will. And John was living in a drafty trailer, taking his bath out of a horse trough with a hose. And hey, he was getting paid. He was getting $5 when he first went to the farm. And he got a raise until he was making $20 a week. $5 a week to $20 a week. But that's the life that John 
knew he was going to live for the rest of his life. However, 10 years prior to that, he was declared free. Time served, free. But he had never heard the message. He had never gotten the gospel. And it wasn't until some years later that it trickled out that what had happened to John, and then John was finally, after 10 years of already being declared free, he finally found freedom. Now here's how that applies to you and me. We have something that other people don't. We have the gospel. And for us to keep it to ourselves and to warm ourselves by the fire of the gospel and to consume the gospel for our own edification and to become fat in our intelligence of the gospel, but not to share the gospel, is as much of a crime as that farmer in Nashville, Tennessee. It's a tragedy. We have friends. We have family members. And there are peoples in this world that need to hear the gospel. Would you pray with me? When I say pray with me, I don't mean get ready to check out to go home. I mean... I want you to zero in right now on not all eight, nine, or ten, but I want you to zero in on one. One name, one face, one person who's far from God, who you know by name, who you're in a regular, consistent contact with that person, that you have the gospel of truth that you might be able to help set them free. And I want you to pray for that person right now. God, set him free. God, disturb my soul. God, don't let me rest until they're resting in you. Pray for them. God, we bow before you and we thank you. At some point, somewhere, somebody in our life For me, it was my mother and a little country preacher named Johnny Lawson and some Sunday school teachers that loved on me enough to share the gospel with me. God, don't let us be just warm, happy, and fed. May we be disturbed. For the sake of of those who are far from you, Lord, do a work in us now. Awaken us. Awaken us. Awaken us. So that we can be a part of awakening those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Would you stand and sing with us?